Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hello, my friends. Happy New Year. This is part three of a three-part series on metabolic health. So part one, we talked about insulin, high blood sugars, um, weight loss. Part two, we talked about low blood sugars and hypoglycemia and mood and irritability and stress. And today we're going to talk more about overall questions that came in. We're going to talk about how do you know, what are the red flags to look for if you do have metabolic issues? I I had mentioned that back in 2018, there was a study saying that about 88% of uh, the U.S. has some type of blood sugar issue, some uh, metabolic dysfunction. How do you know if you're one of those 88% since it's so common? We're going to talk about um, blood sugar testing and glucose monitoring. Is it necessary for everybody? Should everybody be doing that? We're going to talk about my thoughts on um, if you kind of like go balls to the wall and kind of while out with carbohydrate intake, should you be doing anything specifically to kind of corral your blood sugar uh, back to baseline? And then we'll close it out with basic principles that everyone should apply in regards to metabolic health. And if you're looking to implement this with an actual plan, sign up for the Carb Compatibility Project. I run it twice a year. It is pretty phenomenal, if I do say so myself. I feel like I can say that now with conviction because when we were building out the new website, I went through uh, a lot of testimonials uh, for the CCP and reading through them. I just felt so reinvigorated and so inspired and just seeing people have these such profound impacts. It really changes the way that you think about food, that you think about fueling yourself, that you think about your body, that you think about yourself. Um, And I'm really proud of it. So I would love to help you With that, this year, January 10th, we kick things off. You can head to my website, thefunctionalnutritionist.com forward slash CCP. Functional is spelled with a K, just like this podcast. And um, sign yourself up and we can go on this metabolic healing journey together as a group. So the first question that I'm going to start off with, somebody said, without testing, what are red flags to look for to figure out if you have blood sugar dysregulation? Let me back up a step. This shit is so important. Blood sugar dysregulation is wildly inflammatory to the body. Um, It makes a really big difference to all your health goals, whether it is trying to regulate thyroid physiology, trying to balance your hormones, trying to get good mood, like reduce your anxiety. Um, If you have headaches, if you have brain fog, all this kind of stuff. So super, super important. That's why I spend a lot of time talking about it. Uh, So what are some red flags to look for to see if this is your bag without testing? 
if you don't have, let's say, blood sugar labs, um, or if you don't have a continuous glucose monitor, we're gonna talk about CGM in just a sec because a few questions came in about that. Without testing, just based off of how you feel in symptoms, here are the, the kind of big red flags to look for. For low blood sugar and hypoglycemia, it's hanger. So you just feel like hungry and angry, right? Like, just like I could like claw your face off because I need food right now. I need food like right now, like 20 minutes ago. Um, that is low blood sugar. Irritability, low patience, um, just like not feeling like yourself. Sometimes spaciness, headaches is a big one. I know a lot of my clients come to me with headaches, with anxiety, with low energy, with brain fog, with crashes like around 10 a.m. or 3 p.m. in the day, feeling like they have to like reach for caffeine or reach for sugar or like a quick snack. All of that can be low blood sugar stuff. Um, high blood sugar is... It can be some of that because they can kind of coexist. You can have high blood sugar and low blood sugar swings. And I've kind of already gotten into that in part one and part two. But with high blood sugar, we tend to see chronically elevated blood sugars. We tend to see more of an inflammatory picture. We can see weight loss resistance. We can see weight gain around the midsection. We can see a lot of fatigue, a lot of reliance on caffeine or sugar to just kind of keep going through the day. A lot of sugar cravings we can see. With elevated blood sugars, if you eat a meal, you're more likely to feel fatigued, tired, and run down immediately after the meal. If you eat a meal and you're like, I gotta like take a nap or like grab a cup of coffee really soon. That can be more indicative of a high blood sugar situation. So you kind of have to figure out, do I, do I fit in one of these categories or am I kind of all over the place? But those are the big red flags to look for. With, with low blood sugar, if you eat a meal and you feel better afterwards, you feel less hungry, you feel less, obviously you're going to feel less hungry. If you feel uh, less irritable, if you feel less spacey, if you feel less scattered, if you feel better after you're eating, that's indicative that you could be dealing with low blood sugar. Ideally, an ideal situation is you eat a meal and you don't have any change in your energy levels, any change in your mood, you just feel less hungry. Uh, that's a good indication that your blood sugar is pretty, pretty great. So the, then another question came in about continuous glucose monitoring. Um, so, uh, CGM is, um, I've, I've worn one in the past. I've talked about it on the podcast before, but it's basically a monitor that you slap on your arm and it's taking your blood sugar throughout the course of the day. So you can see real time effects, how food is impacting you, how stress is impacting you. Yeah. Stress impacts your blood sugar in a massive way. Low blood sugar also impacts your stress. So they're pretty intimately connected. Uh, but so CGM, you get to see what's going on. And so do I recommend that everyone do this as a baseline? Not really. I think it really depends. I'm a huge fan of glucose monitoring. I think it provides a lot of really important information, but let me talk around this. I think it's wicked important to start with food. So if you are like a kind of like a scattered mess, you're skipping meals, you're doing like fasted workouts, you're feeling like trash, you are um, like eating lots of like refined carbohydrates, lots of sugar, you're just all over the place. I don't think jumping right into a CGM is, is, is a smart bet. I think try to establish your blood sugar through food first. Make some dietary tweaks, make some lifestyle tweaks. I feel like, my personal opinion, is that a CGM helps to dial things in a little bit more. I'm gonna talk about strategies, specific strategies at the end of this, um, at the end of this video. But I think that the CGM just comes, helps to 
somebody who's like already kind of rocking and rolling helps to dial it in a little bit more. Um, I don't think a CGM is great for somebody who gets like hyper focused on data to the point that it stresses them out. Like if you're somebody who's going to be like, what does this mean? 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 Not a great bet for you. Um, if you're somebody who can kind of step back and look at things in an overall pattern, I think a CGM is awesome. But I have a lot of clients that tend to be more like in the hypervigilant camp of like, oh, I see this one thing. What does this mean? And that can just create a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. We really want to be looking for patterns. Having said that, I did wear a CGM for a couple of months and I saw some things that I was like, huh, okay, this is somebody I have pretty dialed in blood sugar. I eat really well. I move my body. I get eight hours of sleep a night. Like I take care of myself. It is like my top dog priority. And I still learn some things. For example, um, I saw that dates and go macro bars. I don't really eat a ton of go macro bars, but I noticed that those spiked my blood sugar like a lot. Fortunately, I have good glucose control. So even though my blood sugar spiked up, it kind of came down pretty quickly, which is kind of like the hope and the dream. And it didn't plummet out. So I had reactive hypoglycemia because that can happen too. It spiked and then it was just a kind of netted out. But now I'm like, huh, those aren't going to be like everyday foods for me because that's a pretty significant spike. Uh, the other takeaway that I got wearing one is seeing how much stress really impacted my blood sugar. That was kind of a I was uh, like, uh, oh boy, <laughs> shit. I talk about this stuff, but this is actually real. So I don't think as like kind of like a baseline, every single person needs to do glucose monitoring. I do think as a baseline, every single person does need to work on their uh, blood sugar. However, their regulation through diet, through lifestyle, through sleep. Again, we'll talk about this. Um, the next question is, do you recommend testing blood sugar every morning if you're not diabetic? And again, kind of the same deal. I think it can give you really great feedback as to what's going on. And I think that feedback is, is awesome. So maybe you do something like you test your blood sugar. You don't even have to get a CGM. You can go to the, the, like a CVS, a Walgreens and get a, like, I don't know, $20 glucose monitor where you prick your finger. I have, I don't know if you can see my white fingers. I don't have great circulation in my hands. I have Raynaud's. So finger pricking is a freaking nightmare for me because it's very hard to draw blood. Uh, draw blood, draw blood. I can't do it. But if you're not like me, um, it's a very inexpensive at-home way you can look at your uh, blood glucose. I talk about this in the Carb Compatibility Project if people do want to do this. But you could do it in the morning. You can do it after meals. And you can see... Uh, it's, a, it's a much less expensive way to see what's going on. But I don't think this is something you have to do every single day. I think this is something you can do for like a week or a couple of weeks and see how you're responding. You can make some changes and see how you're responding to those changes. Um, somebody asked, Holly, holy moly, holy moly, what about uh, lethargy after a high carbohydrate meal? I don't get fatigued after most meals, but if I eat a heavy meal of carbs in the afternoon, I get this. Is this normal for most people? No, it's not normal. I mean, it's probably pretty common because most of our blood sugar is kind of like effed. I think it's like 88%. That was the, that was the study that I saw. 88% of us don't have great metabolic control. So it's common, but that's not normal. It's not normal to feel, uh, lethargy after eating that shouldn't be happening. That's pretty indicative that your, you, um, that carbohydrate threshold was too high. Like you crossed your carbohydrate threshold. That was too much for your body. Um, okay. 
With love, Nicole Waller, um, I know you explained how hunger can raise cortisol, but if eating three meals a day with some night snacks, is there a way to know if some hunger is okay? I don't think hunger is something that we necessarily need to to fear. Um, some hunger is normal. I think in what we've done in modern day is kind of like normalize this like perpetual eating where we're just, there's food always available. We're always eating. Part of this, in my opinion, is that we're not eating appropriate meals. So we're like eating like, you know, like 200 calorie snack packs or like a bowl of special K and being like, oh, it's a healthy breakfast. I'm like, bro, that's like 200 calories. I need like 800 calories for a meal, you know, like, so I think we're just under eating calories in general because like we, our brains are so, we look at health through the the, the lens of dieting and, and um, you know, weight loss. So I think we're just used to just not eating enough per meal. That's something that I really try to establish in the carb compatibility project. Like make sure, sure you're fueling yourself adequately at your meals, because if you're not, you're going to be hungry. The other thing is that if you're crossing that carbohydrate threshold, we all have the individual ones. And if you're crossing, if you're eating too many carbohydrates for your unique physiology, given your current circumstance, that can lead to more hunger quicker. So if you're eating adequate protein and adequate fat, you're less likely to be hungry really fast. So this is a, it's like a kind of a big question that you asked, Nicole. I think some amount of hunger is normal. I think we're very used to, um, just kind of like perpetually feeding ourselves cause we're not eating enough. And like, we're like, we've been like fed that lie that you have to eat every few hours to stoke your metabolism. Now, some people do need to eat every few hours. I won't talk about that now because I talked about it on my last, um, my last part two of the series. Um, some people actually do because they have, um, ish, like hormonal issues. They have to eat every few hours, but most of us, that might not be true. And so, um, I think we've been, some of us are just sort of like afraid of feeling hunger. And so we're just kind of perpetually eating. And then I think some of us, like the opposite of that is true, where we're so used to like white knuckling through hunger and like, I gotta feel hungry. And so I think it's, this is where like, uh, this is where individuality comes in. There's no like easy blanket statement, easy blanket answer here. It's just more of like, I don't know, where are you at? I think some hunger is normal. I think we're, we're, we have to get used to feeling some hunger. And I think for some people with a history of dieting and restriction, it's very hard to assess like what is appropriate. That's kind of like the best way that I can answer that. Um, someone told me long ago to lose weight. Hunger is your friend. Um, I mean, that sounds super fucked up, but like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it worked for them. Um, I don't know. I don't know about that one. I don't like feeling hungry. Um, personally, uh, what I will say, since we're talking specifically about blood sugar here, if you, you get hungry to the point, and some people don't feel hunger, they just feel those low blood sugar symptoms. But if you get hungry to the point that you're experiencing low blood sugar symptoms, those things that I just talked about at the start of this, the hanger, the shakiness, the irritability, the, the brain fog, the, all that kind of stuff, that's a problem. That means your body needs to be fed. That means that you don't have... Um, there's not enough glucose in the system or glycogen stores, or you can't access your glycogen stores. There's a situation going on that your body does need to be fed. Um, okay. Let's see. What is the next question? 
do I have to be using a continuous glucose monitor to do the carb compatibility project? So I, I know I have a, quite a few people here live. If you're doing the CCP, if you're signed up for January's carb compatibility project, let me know, like send me some hearts or do, okay, okay, seeing some hearts, all right, all right. Um, you can still sign up, PS, you can still sign up. I leave the cart, we start officially on Monday, I leave the cart open all the way through money for last minute Larry's because I, I'm a last minute Larry myself. Um, but I always encourage people to sign up ahead of time because you get immediate access to like bonus material and stuff. And that way you can kind of get yourself prepared. So we start officially on Monday, still time to sign up. But you do not need to be on, a, you don't need to be, um, doing any type of glucose monitoring to be doing the CCP because, and you totally can be, if you have a CGM, if you love this stuff and you want to see how tweaking your different macronutrients and, and changing your dietary intake can affect that. Awesome. But I, it's not something that is required for the program or something that I recommend because the whole purpose of this program is to self source your own answers. It's to, because I can't crawl inside of your body and figure out what's appropriate for you. So we have to get more comfortable. We are so goddamn conditioned to seeking answers outside of ourselves, to seeking permission to eat outside of ourselves. Like, can I do this? Is this allowed? Like, these are questions that I've been hearing for 11 years. I've been doing this work for 11 years and have these are just questions that we're, I hear all the time. It's like people are like asking somebody else for permission on what to eat. So my whole, like the whole shtick of my work, like all the, my goal is to teach people how to self-source those answers. And so there's a lot of uh, kind of like check-ins that we do to see how you're responding. And so sometimes if we, if we're looking, if we're so focused on the data and sitting in front of us, whether that's a lab or that's a, a CGM, we're like, paying so much attention to the data that we're not paying attention to what's going on inside of our bodies. We're not paying attention to our mood. We're not paying attention to um, our feelings and like, like our energy levels or our headaches, whatever it might be. We're not paying attention to our symptoms. We're not paying attention to ourselves. It's just like another way to check out of ourselves. So the whole purpose of this program is to check in with yourself. So for that reason, you don't have to do like you, we don't talk about CGMs in the program. There's a lot of live Q and A, so if you if you're doing one and you have questions about it, we can t we can shoot the shit about that. But it's not a part of the program, okay? Um, so don't feel like you have to do that in order to participate. Hey, let's take a quick break so we can talk about low sugar nutrition. I'm always looking for kind of quick and dirty ways to pack in extra nutrition, polyphenols, antioxidants, fibers for my gut, and even herbs for my stress response, like the more adaptogens, the better, which is why I use Organifi powders every day, several times a day. I love to put them into my water. This is great if you're one of those people that struggles to just get enough hydration, get enough water. And if you feel like water's really boring, these powders can zhuzh it up for you. My kiddo loves them. She feels like she's drinking juice. I also throw them into my smoothies just as a way to get some extra nutrition. My personal favorite is the red juice. So it has lots of different red powders Things like acai, cranberry, pomegranate, strawberry, raspberry, blueberry, all of those polyphenol-rich red and blue powders. And if you've listened to the show or you've 
seen me on Instagram, you've heard me talk about the benefits of these powders. They feed a very unique and particular type of bacteria in your gut called Acromantia. Acromantia is a keystone player. It's wicked important for keeping your gut healthy and strong. It prevents leaky gut. It also is very important for metabolic health and insulin signaling and controlling blood sugar. Now, unfortunately, I do a lot of stool tests on people and see that acromantia is low, sometimes even below detectable limits. That's a real bummer. Some of the bacteria in our guts are little piggies. They'll eat anything. And then some bacteria are more like snobby foodies that will only eat specific things. This acromantia bacteria loves to eat red polyphenols. So the more red foods you can eat, the better. And getting red powders is super important as well. So the red juice is something that you can grab super easy and it's low sugar. All of Organifi's powders are under three grams of sugar per serving. And most of them offer up fiber as well to counteract any spike in blood sugar. So highly recommend. I throw them in my smoothie so I can pack in a bunch of veggies without adding a ton of fruit that might spike my blood sugar. And I can still make them sweet and palatable. Go to Organifi's website, Organifi.com. You can click the link in the show notes. Be sure to use the code FUNK. It will save you 20% off of every single order you ever place. You get a good deal and you get to support all the good things in your body too. Okay. Next question. The best thing to do to rein in glucose metabolism after a few days of heavy carb intake. Um, so I feel like a lot of people here would be like, Oh, just do some intermittent fasting. And that's not where I'm going to go. So I think ultimately what we want to do is just continue to bring things back to baseline to to have a way to say what is appropriate for me and know and trust what is appropriate for you and do that most of the time and just keep pulling ourselves back to center, back to baseline. That is, um, that is so important. That's arguably the most important thing that you can do for your, for your diet, your nutrition and your health is figure out what is appropriate for you and just kind of stay there most of the time. What happens for a lot of folks is like this pendulum swing of like, I'm going to go balls to the wall. I'm going to while out. I'm going to just like mainline carbs do all the things that I'm not supposed to be doing. I'm doing it anyway. I might as well just like keep going, keep going, keep going. And then the pendulum swing of restriction, right? I mean, give me a sign if you've done this before. I did this for like, you know, a really long time, like years and years and years and years. Restriction and then like kind of like that, like the ball to the wall binge and then restriction. And then we just like keep swinging back and forth. What is that like ride at, you know, they're like at circuses. It's like this thing. Those things stress me out too much, but that's what I did with my diet. That's what so many people do with their food intake. So what I would actually suggest, let's say you, I don't know, it was like the holidays. You had like family meals, whatever, you know, you, uh, went out on a bender with your buddies. I don't know. Live your life, you know, do your thing rather than pendulum swinging back in the opposite, opposite direction, the, the exact opposite direction. Try to just pull yourself back to center. That's it. And the more you can pull yourself back to center, the more that you can get back to your baseline, I'm telling you the God's honest truth, the less you're going to go into those, um, balls to the wall, like heavy, uh, you know, like 
binge episodes or whatever. You're just going to kind of stay here. So the goal is to just kind of, I think, kind of come, keep coming back. Um, but you have to figure out what your baseline is and what your center is. For me, if I go and I don't really, you know, go, go too wild anymore. Um, but if I do that, I'm just thinking about hydration, protein, and veggies. That's kind of like my baseline. That's like how I bring myself back. It's not like I'm going to go on a juice fast or I'm going to do like the master cleanse or I'm going to drink lemon water or whatever, or like I'm going to start fasting. I don't, I, there's, this doesn't exist in my life anymore. It's just, oh, just going to pull myself back to center. And that is a practice. And, um, oh, Nat, I'm so sorry to hear that. That only started when I went on the AIP diet. After that, it's been a shit show. Yeah, the AIP diet can be an absolute shit show. AIP stands for autoimmune paleo protocol and, um, or autoimmune protocol. And it's a very restrictive diet. Um, it's designed to reduce antigenic foods. So it doesn't stimulate your immune system. So that's why it can be helpful for some, for folks with autoimmune, but it's really designed as a short-term strategy to figure out what foods you're reacting to. And I just, I just see so much, um, chaos come out of that plan. I don't, I don't, I work, I see a lot of autoimmunity in my practice, I myself, you know, have autoimmunity and, um, I stay far away from AIP to tell you the truth. Um, not to say that, that, um, it doesn't have a time and a place or it's not useful for some people or some people don't have a good experience with it. I always try to validate everybody's lived experience, even if it's different than mine, crazy thought. Um, but for the most part, I just see a lot of, a lot of negative stuff come out of that. Okay. When trying to keep blood sugar balanced, is it necessary to eat carb, fat, protein at every meal and snack? So basically like balanced macronutrients. I think it's a very good starting place. Um, I think that if you're not following a plan, if you just like are like, I just need to like wrap my head around this, that is a very good starting place. Eating adequate protein, eating adequate fat and fiber helps to blunt a blood sugar spike. So it kind of helps to just like mitigate the, that those like big spikes and kind of like smooth things out um, when it comes to blood sugar. So making sure, I'm sure you, you might've heard this terminology, no naked carbs. That's like, don't eat a bagel without like throwing some peanut butter on it. And like maybe, I don't know, or like don't eat a piece of toast without some like avocado and egg you know, like get the fat, the protein and the fiber as well. That from a blood sugar perspective, that really helpful. And I will say this, this is like, if you take one thing away from this whole thing, like if you, if you're here, like give me an action step, it is to not start your day off with lots of carbohydrate, especially if they're naked carbohydrate. And like, if you think about typical breakfast foods, it's like bagels, um, cereal, granola, um, like oatmeal, like throw me some breakfast foods. I'm like having a total space here, but you know, many of them are high carbohydrate waffles and pancakes and you know, all that kind of stuff. Cereal is a, is a big one, right? So it's lots of carbohydrate, but it's kind of like unmatched, unchecked carbohydrate because we're not getting adequate protein and fat and potentially even fiber with it. So it kind of spikes our blood sugar. When we do that, first thing in the morning, like right out the gate, it can kind of set us up for that roller coaster of high highs and low lows throughout the, the course of the day, which makes us feel like 
trash. I mean, if you're like dragging ass mid morning or, or late afternoon, if you're like, I need that second or third or fourth cup of coffee, like there's something going on with blood sugar, most likely. Yeah. Cereal. Um, oh, so, so yes. So as a general, as a general rule, balancing out macronutrients. And when I say macronutrients, I mean carbs, fat, and protein, right? Um, is, is a good strategy, but everybody has a unique threshold. So like I might be able to get away with eating more carbohydrates than you might be able to get away with because of my unique physiology or because of, um, how I sleep or because I sleep like a, like a true champion, um, or because of, um, how I move my body. You know, if I'm doing more intense exercise, I might, might need more carbohydrate that day. So point is, is like that the carbohydrate lever can like move around quite a bit. Um, your needs for carbohydrate, your threshold for carbohydrate might be different, um, than other people. So that is like the, the, the macronutrient that I tinker around with the most. That's literally why I designed the carb compatibility project is to tinker around with macronutrients. So you can dial in your unique threshold, your unique, um, specific need. Like, where do you feel the best? Like, I can't tell you that nobody can tell you that if somebody's trying to tell you that that's, just, that's like a red flag. You should probably be a little suspicious. So if somebody's like, I have the answer for you again, I've been doing this for 11 years. Like I've, I have like a, fair amount of experience. I still can't tell people how many grams of carbs they need. Still can't do it, but I can help you figure that out for yourself. Okay. Final question that I have that was pre-submitted. What are the basic principles that everyone should apply in regards to metabolic health? Awesome. Okay. So I'm going to talk about like long-term strategies, like things to work on. And then I'm going to be like, here's what you should do right now. Long-term strategies, stress, Stress is a biggie. I'm sure you're probably sick and tired of hearing about it by now. Um, it kind of fucks everything up, to be honest with you. So uh, I, I use this example, but I'm going to use it again in case you didn't see my um, a previous video. But I have, a, um, as I said, when I was doing my CGM, I noticed that when I was stressed out, my blood sugar went high. And I'm like, this is irrespective of food. Um, I have somebody in my Functional Nutrition Academy her daughter's a type one diabetic, so she does need to track her blood sugar. And she says that when she gets stressed out about like a math test or stressed out about school, her blood sugars kind of like go off the chart. So stress absolutely impacts blood sugar. So we need to make sure that we're, we're um, finding ways to take things off of our plate to set boundaries, to learn how to say no, to recognize our own limitations, um, and then also ways to like manage stress, right? when we're feeling it. Super important. Sleep is a biggie. Sleep is a biggie. We cannot out eat sleep. So if you're uh, not getting like a solid seven to eight hours a night, that is a huge strategy to work on. Uh, lack of sleep drives up hunger hormones. It impacts satiety hormones. It impacts insulin signaling. It's very challenging to regulate blood sugar without adequate sleep. So we, we want to work on some strategies to do that. The tricky part about it is that some people, a lot of people who struggle with sleep, struggle with sleep because of blood sugar issues. So we want to work on them simultaneously. Movement. Movement is huge. Movement is so important. Movement is medicine. Um, and it doesn't have to be something like super intense and gnarly. Walking, going for a walk, like a 20-minute walk after a meal helps to 
lower insulin levels. It helps to drive down that glucose response. So really important and really like readily available to most people. Uh, driving up muscle mass. So you guys, have, if you've been around the block, you've heard me talk about this. this is like a perpetual goal of mine is to put on more muscle mass and it's a struggle for your girl. Um, but that is like always something that I'm working on is to put on muscle mass because I know that it helps with immune function and it helps with metabolic health, um, all of that. So uh, doing strength training. I think from, uh, when it comes to menstruating females, which is like, you know, I work with, I work with everybody. That's like tends to be the, the, the cohort that I see the most walking and strength training. If you can do those, like you're golden, like it's like the best because it's supportive of stress response. It's not going to like overshoot the, um, your stress response. Most cases really good for hormonal health, great for blood sugar regulation and metabolic health. So moving your body is like an absolute must. Um, gut health, a lot of our metabolic health comes from the gut. Uh, so this is something that we talk about a lot in the carb compatibility project because we can affect so much of our gut through our diet. So it's like a really strong intervention that we focus on. Um, but making sure that we have, uh, ample beneficial species in our gut. Um, we want, uh, why can't I think of the two words? They're escaping me right now, but diversity and abundance. There we go. We want diversity and we want abundance, uh, everywhere and in our gut as well. So, um, that again, that doesn't, that kind of stuff is more of a longer term play, but like right now in real time, what can you do to start to focus on your blood sugar. It's really about auditing your, uh, your sugar intake and your carb intake. All of those other things are going to be massively effective, but like right now in real time, like what could you do today to, uh, support your blood sugar? It's, it's looking at your sugar intake. It's looking at your, uh, refined carbohydrate intake and deciding what's appropriate for you and what is not. And again, that is what we do in the carb compatibility project. It's a four week plan to map all of that out. Um, is your Olympic sleeping, it's true champion, uh, all due to your diet and wellness work or dedicated sleep application? All of the above, uh, I would say. Zanny Zan, all of the above. Um, my daughter, so my daughter is seven years old. She did not sleep for the two, first two years of her life. I wasn't a bad sleeper before that, but that really showcased how much sleep or lack thereof impacted my health. That's why when I talk about sleep, I always tell new moms to do earmuffs do not listen. This is going to stress you out even more. Sleep will eventually come, but I really started to dial in. I started to get anxiety at night too. Cause I'm like, I didn't, I didn't know what the night I'm like, is she going to wake up? Is she not like, is she going to wake up every 90 minutes? Like what's going on? I started to get super anxious. So I really started focusing on sleep hygiene, uh, when she was a baby. So I would do really calming exercise or practices at night, like Epsom salt baths. I would read by, um, like a salt lamp. Uh, all the lights in the house would come down. I would not have a screen in my face. I wouldn't check an email. I wouldn't do anything that was going to stress me out at night. I didn't exercise at night. Everything was like really calming practices. And then, um, you can, there are dietary strategies that you can do to work on sleep as well, especially if low blood sugar is what's waking you up at night. Um, yeah. Nicole says, anyone else want to do some push-ups and have some veggies right now? Do it. Do it. All right. There's no other questions. I hope this was helpful for folks. And um, if you are still interested in the CCP, you can still sign up. And um, happy new year to everybody. Bye.
Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.